0: Welcome to Happy Pair Podcast, where our ultimate goal is to inspire, educate and awaken your curiosity and overall to help you to become healthier and happier. We're Dave and Steve, identical twins who started a veg shop nearly 20 years ago. Since then, it's expanded into a social following of over one and a half million people, nearly 50 million views of our videos, nearly half a million books sold, cafes, farms, apps, courses, food products to help you to eat more veg. We speak to thought leaders, health experts, trailblazers and specialists of all kinds, from the ones you know to those you've never, ever heard of. Okay, I want to jump right in. I Dave, right Dave in. was calling you. I think Nicole needs a new title, like a soilologist. Like, like I think you're a I new know genre. I oh. cool, but you're a new genre. You're a whole. You're a Lead. soilologist. <laughs> soilologist. Oh, you know what? I love
1: that. Friend of mine was calling me a soil siren, but then I'm like, it sounds like men come here to die.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> now, a soilologist makes you sound smart, and then it kind of has the root of the word where where your kind of focus okay, tends to be on. So, so okay. I will
1: credit you for that. Ah, you don't have to. It's only,
0: only a bit of fun. Um, but okay, so 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 let's jump right in into into this soilology because, um, like most, like when I think of soil, like most people think of soil and they go, they just want to get it off their hands. You want to get it out of my, fi- get it out of the fingernails. To get Are you growing potatoes in your fingernails, Dave? Clean your fucking nails. You know, I remember mom used to say that to us as we were kids. And even soil is kind of totally undermined. I remember reading something, a book called The Third Plate by Dan Barber. And he talked about the link between as topsoil eroded, economic prosperity and education declined. And there was a direct correlation. And I remember reading research mm-hmm. back Two years ago shown in the midwest of the u s as topsoil eroded crops crop harvesting decreased, which meant a loss of nearly three billion so it literally soil health affected economies and yet we don't draw it. we don't so, draw any correlation in any shape or form in modern day society so now you are you are the queen of soil you know you are one of the many queens and kings of soil, but many, you
1: many queens yes. yeah
0: many people that are carrying forward the you know the the, the, the torch of soil. You wrote a book on it, mm-hmm. you know, for the love of soils. And I'd love to like, why should we all be interested in soil? Because that, as you've said, like, we're so interested in the air and everything. But why should we be interested in soil?
1: Well, first of all, I'm just really interested in how you guys got hold of my book uh, on the other side of the world when it's self-published. How did you discover for the love of soil? The internet. <laughs> uh, and and Chris, internet. Who,
0: Chris, who runs our farm, He's a he's a fanboy of yours. He thinks your oh, work is wonderful oh, we, and really loves your work. Oh, we, and he recommended oh, you so should fun. get Hanson Nicole. Handsome Chris. Handsome Chris is a fanboy of you, Nicole.
1: Oh, what's well, in Handsome Chris over here? Nothing <laughs> like a good Irish then. <laughs> um, oh, So Back to the question at hand, why soil? And it's something that I think for me has always, it, it just always makes sense. Like you guys, you know, like we're playing in soil from a very young age, getting it in your fingers, up your nose, um, and feeling really uh, discouraged by what i was seeing in new zealand as a five-year-old which is just huge erosion scars all over new zealand and just having the sense of something is not functioning like it should and it's important and why is it important well because it's the foundation for everything like you talked about economics uh it's our water cycles it's climate cycles it's nutrient density it's biodiversity i mean It's affecting what's happening on the Great Barrier Reef. It's affecting acidity in the ocean. I mean, there's nothing
0: really in my mind that doesn't come back to our mistreatment of soil. Wow. OK, well, well OK, well, well, make a couple of links there because that's, you know, that's a big what? jump for most people, for me included, even, you know, where you kind of go, OK, soil is connected to most things. OK, well, I know soil is connected no, to ulti- food, wait, wait, ultimately saying. everything is connected in the, hu- in, in, in the nature of human life or life. Yeah, OK, I get that. I get that at, philip, at a philosophical level. Yep. But OK, so everything is connected. So I get food is connected to soil and I kind of get, OK, well, yep. animals eat it and then they kind of fart and then I get that soil <laughs> sequesters carbon. But how else? How else is it linked to everything?
1: So let's take ocean acidity, because I think a lot of people don't make this connection. Um, if you consider potentially, you know, Rattan Lal talks about, we have lost 200 gigatons of carbon from soil since the advent of the plow. 200 gigatons. I think how many zeros that is in slots. And I couldn't tell you actually, <laughs> I think you're like 15 or something, um, and then also we have fossil fuel burning and the amount of carbon that's going up into the atmosphere, which also, you know, that grew that carbon's come from underground and stored vegetative, you know, from millions of years ago. But what that does is the sea is actually absorbing that carbon and there's a there's a reaction with your carbonates and we start to see the acidification of the ocean. So that is that ocean has become more acidic by one Point so we've gone from eight point one to eight or eight point two to eight point one, and in that process, that's that's acidifying because of what we're doing on the land. And so people are like, "Well, if we had that much carbon that was being lost and burnt, then the atmosphere should be a lot higher than atmospheric carbon, but it's not because of that
0: amazing sink that the ocean is." So is that almost like that? So say, for example, there was loads of crops there was loads of vegetation on the earth's surface and therefore it absorbed the rain there was lots more roots you know absorbed the rain and it yeah. kept the kind of it kept it didn't reflect the the sun and whatever and and the acidification is almost yeah. that since we've kind of tilled the land and we've kind of bared a lot of the land naked now so the sun bakes down yeah, in right. the land the land heats up the clouds don't actually rain on the land and they rain in the sea is yeah. that some factor to do with it or is the it's the carbon in the atmosphere raining down in the water in the it's, sea.
1: It's, all, it's all interconnected and I think our Western minds try and pull everything apart and see the, 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 the smaller components, whereas it's all interrelated. So even thinking about what we're doing on land in terms of desertification or the practice of like chemical fallow, which is where um, farmers now, they feel like to conserve water, that plants steal water, so they, they will actually spray fields out to have nothing growing. And then what that does is they're actually affecting the rainfall of their neighbors' downwind. So Milan Milan, a climatologist, did some research to show that 80 percent of the rainfall in the Mediterranean basin came from within the basin, that this rainfall is from water that's fallen onto that ground and is then being transpired by those plants, and you've got volatile organic compounds and microbiology that are all leading to this rainfall cycle. And we disrupt that. We just shut it down. So a lot of practices on farm say to people, this is this is far beyond your farm gate in terms of the impact that you're having on your entire community and the entire world, actually, from practices like coming in and cultivating everything, bearing things off, is one, you're disrupting that water cycle and you're contributing to climate dysregulation.
0: Wow. It's it's so in in like inherently but, interlinked i quite technical. Oh, hugely, of course. Yeah. But like anything. Sorry, we can
1: make it not. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yes, it's yeah, fabulous.
0: No. I'm, I'm loving it. I just want to roll it back a little bit for anyone who's kind of new to this topic and the, the idea that like traditionally growing up, farmers were meteorologists, they were biologists, they were physicists, for they look. were chemists. They were some of the most learned people because they had to interrelate so many different systems to grow food in the most harmonious way with nature. Unfortunately, the it's advent real. of the modern farm farmer in many cases is simply a chemist learning what chemicals to spray on the land and largely what they're harvesting are subsidies, not even vegetables or animals or whatever it is they are doing. And just wondering, like, how has this come to pass and what is the impact this is having on the soil?
1: It's phenomenal, really. And I feel like we are at the end, we're coming to the end of like a 140 year long experiment. And that experiment was, Hey, let's, we're going to try all these different chemicals. We're going to really simplify things. We're going to make it easy. So everything became a fix and we changed our mindset from being proactive and thinking for the longer term to just this short term fixation. And you talked about it before. It's taken the creativity and the joy out of farming too. And it's one of the things I find with producers I work with is starting to regenerate is it brings back that spark of life which is just phenomenal to work alongside these people but what it did that whole chemical advent is they had a whole lot of waste coming out of world war one and world war two had chemicals to get rid of and those companies just shifted from the war machine to each other from the war machine against the land and against nature and that was an easy thing now we have this one spray that's going to fix this except now we have this it's caused a fungal disease, so we have a fungicide and now we have insect pests and we've got this pesticide, you know, and now we're on the treadmill and it's really, really hard to get off.
0: Wow. And this is like, are, are no, so, so when I think of farmers, like most people think, like even, even I walk around Ireland and Ireland's a green country and, and you know, you walk <laughs> around and it's a lot of pastures and grazing land and whatever. And I kind of, um, like are most are most farmers using chemical pesticides and like, is it kind of, is that just the kind of general practice across the board?
1: Oh, gosh, you know, it's probably close. And it depends, right? Are we talking Western, Eastern, what part of the world? So if we look at the US, it's probably 95% of producers are found that way.
0: Wow. Even even my Um, mother, um, my family-in-law, or my wife is Polish, and her family are from a real rural town in Poland. That's very traditional. And uh, even her father, who grew up farming in the old school methods, but I see him putting on his suits, going out, spraying the field. And it kind of like, kind of br- like, it just feels like incongruent to how he lives this traditional, very beautiful, Fair. wholesome way of life. And it just seems like even it's kind um, of. Tapped its way into this simple old school way of life, and it's kind of sad. And and mm-hmm. they kind of, and almost like the the promise of chemical uh, pesticides and fungicides and herbicides is that you get better yields with less work. Yeah, it's, it's a, a short term yeah. hack.
1: Yeah, At it's a short term hack. I think as humans, we are we are more tuned into the short term hack, and this is the problem because now what we're seeing is the chronic pay like we're pa- we're now paying for that, right? And that might be epigenetics. It might be like you could spray a fungicide on yourself, but actually it's your child that ends up with autism, learning disorders, autoimmune, um, cancers, right? And we're not good at reacting to that. We're not good at reacting to something that doesn't happen instantly. And so the the fix from chemical sprays, you could see the insects die immediately. You can put nitrogen on and you see things green up so it gave us as humans like this instant fix of like oh this is working not realizing that we're depleting soil carbon that we're depleting microbial biodiversity like the insect populations are crashing you know we're all starting to see the consequences of this now but it's got to the point like literally the land is saying f off like landscapes now are telling people to get off like if you can if you can read a landscape and listen and tune into what it's saying, it's telling people to to we say in New
0: Zealand bugger off. Wow, wow. and, and that, that's because I, they're naked, they're hungry, and they're thirsty.
1: Yeah, and they're literally screaming. They're screaming at us, and it might be we see um, thistles or plant species that are really spiky that are now herbicide resistant, and so they're like they're trying to fix that land, they're trying to rehabilitate that chemical residue. And they're trying to get the farmers off the land. And this is what we're seeing is the movement of farming, especially young farmers, off these landscapes because actually that's what the land is telling you to do.
0: Yeah, because I've heard you talk about weeds. Like you mentioned there, the ability to read a landscape. And in our Western view of life or paradigm, one plant is edible and is fabulous and a weed is bad and we get rid of it or we spray it or we dig it up or whatever. But Mm -hmm. Weeds or these plants that we define as weeds have a serious function, and it's and it tells us what's what's happening in the landscape. But I wonder, I wonder if, if you could talk about this because I've I've heard you talk about it before, and it's beautiful.
1: Oh, it's so it's so fun figuring out what those indicators are of plant species, and the interesting thing is, all of our major commercial crops, our annual crops, they were all weeds once, and and we learned to domesticate that weediness. Um, And then that becomes challenging because there's other weeds that like similar conditions. But I I ask people to look at weeds as indicator plants through these five veils. So is it trying to tell you that there's bare soil, right? Nature abhors a vacuum. You're going to have plants come in and cover that ground very quickly. Um, Is it due to low organic matter? So we see plants specifically that respond when soil carbon and organic matter is, is low. Is it due to a mineral imbalance? Is it due to a microbial imbalance? Or is there actually a toxin release happening? So we'll find plants that will respond to radiation. We'll find plants that respond to um, heavy metals or like chemical contamination. You'll see weeds that specifically are coming in to um, bioremediate or phytoremediate those conditions. So if you start asking that question when you're out and about and go, okay, I wonder what this plant's trying to tell me. Like, if you think of the Irish situation, a lot of your soils are very bacterial dominated, and so then we get some of what we call early successional weed species. So that might be your thistles, that might be your nettles, um, daisies. huh?
0: Nettles, like I notice in the in the w- nettles, yeah. just any kind of waste bit of land, nettles just show yeah. up. Like, and and someone told me that nettles are a good indicator of healthy soil. I am not sure if that's true because they've long tap roots and they tap into minerals. They're bringing minerals up what from deep down. What the
1: telling to you is they. That there's an excess right and typically the so people think oh that makes it fertile but there may be an excess of potassium or nitrates and it it might be because in the past that was a camp where animals were sleeping and pooping or it might be someone's dumped a whole lot of manure there or there has been um, fertilizer applications it might be on the edge of a forest where the trees are dropping a whole lot of leaves and so we see that's where nettles love to grow um and so it's not saying it's good or bad, and I think that's our tendency is to put something into a box. It's just, oh, actually, that that's what it's remediating.
0: Wow! And then and then dandelions. Dandelions have a large taproot, and they're yep. typically to break up tight soil, aren't they, and to bring minerals from deep down up to the surface. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So again, bacterial indicators, and they uh, some people think of them mm-hmm. as functional calcium indicators. They can be high potassium. So similar conditions in a lot of ways. So what we find is as we start to nurture and bring our soils or, you know, allow our soils to come into balance is we will see, you might see some dandelions, but you're going to see other species being able to um, grow in those conditions.
0: Amazing. Uh, You're mentioning that so bad and this is a linkage which I'm just it's a stupid question but I, I kind of enjoy stupid questions because they kind of reveal things as well so so ca- we all talk about carbon in the atmosphere and there's so much carbon and we need to sequester it's a new word which I only learned in the last five years sequester it's a great word it makes me I, I feel smart when I use it but we sequester it, smart, it. <laughs> we sequester it via the soils and I'm just thinking we're talking about carbon in the soil and carbon how mm-hmm. I understand it it's from matter that dies and decomposes whether it's fish or humans or bones or leaves or Plants, this all dies and it ultimately turns into carbon. And rich, healthy soil mm. is soil that's full of carbon. Isn't that right? Mm. And then when we till the soil, when we till the soil, that carbon is released into the atmosphere, which is negative because we hear, oh, there's so much carbon in the atmosphere and that's why the climate is, is going up. Is that, yeah. am I being yeah. really simple there or is that?
1: Um, a little simple and you're missing the main pathway. So the main so. pathway carbon is through healthy plants, diverse root architecture and root exudates. So plants, you know, we know this since about 1881, is that plants are leaking exudates, exuding um, material out their roots, right? And, and so scientists are like, stupid plants are just leaking all over the place. <laughs> Instead of going, I wonder what, what why are they leaking? And this leakiness contains um, biology. It contains um, carbohydrates, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Um, contains fatty acids, contains communication signals. There's all sorts of things going on around that root zone. But a big part of that is being moved through that soil system by fungi and by other biology. Um, And so this is the key part is we need to get plants healthy again. Uh, We need to support plant health. We need to make sure we have the ground covered. You talked about that um but having that diversity of plants so that they can get that carbon pump working so just cuz you have a living plant on the ground doesn't mean it's healthy it doesn't mean that that pump is working and that's kind of the biggest opportunity we have right now is not um mm. scrubbers it's not to start treating carbon like a uh, pollution actually because it's a food it's a food resource for microbes we are this is what i think is interesting is we are actually right now in a battle with ourselves because we are carbon based organisms and suddenly we've turned carbon into this evil God or, you know, climate change is like Thor that we all feel like this is out of our control. It's something that we have to just pray for because there's nothing that we can do and. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting symbol of our times and we need to shift that relationship with carbon and climate change.
0: And realize that we are part carbon and carbon there's this where most na- nature seems to function yeah, okay. on carbon and it's just simply that the carbon is being misdirected. Is that it? There's an imbalance. I think you spoke about an imbalance.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a rapid imbalance. So it's not it's just that we we humans live on these very short timescales, you know, and systems will balance themselves out, but right now we're in a, you know, rampant overpopulation of human beings that live on very short time frames. And yeah, things will come into balance.
0: Well, wow, you're long range thinking when you're going, Yeah, we live in short time frames, eighty years, hundred years. I love that. Wow. Long yeah, range it, thinking
1: it, it is. And, and it's not how the planet works. It's not how cycles work. It's not how climate
0: works. And um uh, yeah, it's can we keep on one second more at this big, this big, but I, but but I, I just want to, yeah. I want to still stay in this, these big issues. We're very excited so, as you can see. So, so, so before we go back oh, into I the soil, so, I mean, I was so excited to talk to you guys. I just want <laughs> <stay> to <there. laughs> yeah. so, so, so before we go back <laughs> into the soil, I just want to keep it back up and go. Okay. So at the moment we have an excess carbon issue in the atmosphere, which is, this is <laughs> resulting in climate change. And this is partly, this is partly related to, because we're kind of, you know, we're tilling the soils and releasing carbon and we're using chemical chemical fertilizers so that the plants aren't feeding the soil and it isn't sequestering and the carbon. And we're taking out fossil fuels which are concentrated source of carbon. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. And how do we fix uh-huh. all this? Regenerative <laughs> agriculture. I love
1: it. As, as humans want to go to fix. Um, it really is about restoring function, right? Restoring function to soil, to biodiversity, to not living in this rampant, age of consumerism and it's really hard like I was thinking about the other day I want to replace my phone you just how do you do that without kind of contributing to the rampant consumerism and exploitation of people and mining and just you know the phone is one small example of just how we're at the whim of what's happening societally and then to say okay do I want to check out and be a lot a lot I I kind of don't but I'm like How do I not participate in this rampantness? It's like, we know all of these factors are happening. We know that, you know, there's all these pressures, climate change and that. And yet last year, the Black Friday sales were the biggest of all time, even though we're apparently in a recession here in America. It was like, that wheel is spinning faster. It's like, we decided we're just going to accelerate, floor it and go off the cliff instead of actually we need to be pulling on the handbrake and, and really looking at, Let's get back to nature. Let's get back to reconnecting to
0: the world around us. Yeah, I love that. Um, and it, can Which I just say one, one, one more write? big one, one more big one, and then we'll go into okay. good health and all these other ones. So on this topic of <laughs> so the accelerator, so we're we're foot to the floor in the accelerator, and there is this handbrake. Yeah, by foot to the floor in the accelerator. In terms, in of, terms like, of consumerism, that is driving the you know it's driving the whole the the, the way that we're currently going on the current path that we're going consumerism and you know, the way we're living is ultimately leading to this situation, the climate situation, which is, Perfect. you know, they're all related, all interrelated. And I'm just wondering, like, yeah. if you were, if you were, you know, a queen of the world, you are now queen of the universe. Nicole, here you uh-huh. go. You're in charge. Here's the lever. <laughs> how do we pull the handbrake? Like, how do we do this? We
1: regenerate and restore biodiversity and water cycles across the planet. And I think there's some brilliant examples of, of how we can do this. And training people in how to think proactively instead of reactively. You know, I look at these new schemes with these plastic-covered, highly energy-efficient, well, like, I don't think they're energy-efficient, but they're water-efficient systems to grow food using electricity uh, because they're worried about water usage. And I'm like, can, can we not do this, people? Can we really be thinking how do I get into sync with nature? How do I, because we still don't produce as much biomass as natural ecosystems do. You know, we think we're so smart with all these chemical inputs and we still lose horrendous amounts of crops to insects and diseases and weed pressure. Um, You know, so the system is, is very clearly not working. Uh, But yet, how do we, how do we reconnect and restore in a way that isn't being done? Cause I'm doing this as some kind of reaction. I'm doing this to make up for, blah, blah, blah. It's actually, no, how do I how do I reconnect more deeply? And that starts with individual people, right? And that's, I think, the focus of our company is much more on how do we work with people to really regenerate ourselves so that we're in a position to regenerate ecosystems.
0: Wow. So you're teaching us two parts. There's a personal aspect as well as the farming aspect in the land.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'd say these days, it's probably more the, the personal aspect. Wow. Um, because we're starting to realize that without that, There's no regeneration of landscape. There's just a whole lot of knee-jerk reactionary behaviors, like someone will plant a cover crop. It's like last year, they're going to put all these cover crops in, and it's very exciting to see you know, the USDA say, hey, plant cover crops because it'll build soil. How? Well, the amount of glyphosate that they're using then to terminate those crops has gone through the roof, because no one's thinking, how do we do this regeneratively? They're just thinking, oh, I have a tool, I have a prescription, and I'm going to put this in without
0: changing the underlying assumptions and philosophy and mindset that's below that so it really is an education across the board and it seems like you mentioned there kind of the first aspect is regenerating the person before trying to regenerate the land and that kind of naturally segues into good health because we've a lot of experience that one of the keys where 70 percent of your immune system is in your good health and typically the biggest thing you can do is to eat a diverse the single biggest thing you can do for good health this is according to our friend, a, a consultant, gastroenterologist, is to eat a diversity of plant-based foods. And diversity yep. is the key. And similarly, what we've learned with soil, which is very similar in many different ways, they both have the same predominantly four feli we've learned in terms of microorganisms, um, is mm-hmm. that it's diversity. The more diverse an ecosystem, the more, more resilient it is. So I wonder if you could talk about, mm. I've heard you talk about how soil is like the planetary's gut health. And I think we learned even yeah. last week with George Mambiat talking about how Forty percent, typical of all energy a plant creates from photosynthesis, is to go into the soil to awaken mm-hmm. certain microorganisms that they need to form almost like an external gut around the mm-hmm. the, the the roots or the little root hairs of the mm-hmm. plant. Which I thought was like my mind was blown. I was like, <laughs> how? Like I don't get this, and it's just fascinating. No.
1: And 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 it gives you guys a real advantage in that if you understand human gut health that's such an insight into what's happening with soil gut health and this is what's so exciting and and, and i sometimes get frustrated because you're not necessarily learning this in, in academia and at universities because it's blowing up right now is the microbiome and the holobionts and the microbiome in seeds the microbiome that's actually inside leaves the microbiome in the roots you know it's just so exciting but I think one piece to remember is, and if we think about it with human health is you are what you absorb. So you can eat a diverse diet, but if your gut has been deeply undermined through ag chemical exposure, through these epigenetic pathways, through um, just the loading that's now on the system, you know, and you've talked to Zach Bush probably about the tight junctions, is there's a restoration and repair that goes along with the increase of biodiversity. So when we are working with large-scale cropping systems, then we will be looking at how to remediate some of the chemical residues that's in the system because if I don't, they're going to show up somewhere. They might show up in year six as we start to see soils. The word spoculate, I just love the word spoculate, is so that we form these aggregates, that soil opens up, and as it opens up with with the presence of microbiology, they release egg chemicals. What's the word but again? i find something-
0: body. my my little kids Bloculate. would love that word foculate <laughs> foculate, <laughs> foculate.
1: Need to, you, need, you need to be italian you go friend of mine Floculate. does foculate. Foculate. like a flock <laughs> of birds with
0: a u at the like end like a
1: flock of birds that yeah, you ate. yeah that right. together like the murmuration so uh, there's 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 multiple healing type processes. And I find this working with a lot of my clients is that they need to go and do a, some kind of detox um, for themselves. And that might be infrared or for me, like I did hyperbaric chamber intravenous vitamin C to flush paraquat out of my body. And if I hadn't done that, I don't think that I'd be in the house that I'm in now. So paraquat is a residual herbicide. It was banned in many countries. It might be banned in in Ireland. New Zealand is actually one of the first countries to ban it, and they're about to re-regulate it, like allow it back into the country because we're running out of herbicides that work, Um, (laughs) which is very scary. So um, paraquat is one of the leading causes of suicide in third world countries because there is no antidote to it. If you drink it, it, um, it will stay in your body forever. Wow. So finding really intense ways to detoxify and um, and I find for people you can't start too intensely like just you know weaning people into a detoxification process because you talk to most farmers and they'll have memories when they're young of being out and spraying herbicide and it dripping all down their backs and their backs being like blue or pink with the sprays and I was talking to a guy recently and he did a detox like an infrared Um, sauna with his family and they were in there for like five minutes and suddenly the whole sauna just filled up with the smell of 2,4-D which is another you know residual herbicide and the 2,4-D was coming out of his body and he had to go and sauna by himself for about 10 sessions before he didn't have to throw those towels away that he's wrapping his body in because they were so full of ad chemical
0: oh my word well yeah because when you think about it the skin is the biggest organ of elimination in our body and it's we are like sponges and the same way it's it's interesting like uh, we wear shorts all year round and Brilliant. My wife and my mom get upset because when I'm eating, I, I'm a messy eater and I get it in my face and instead of eating a napkin, which is a bit <laughs> barbaric and I probably shouldn't be admitting this, I wipe, I wipe my hand on my face <laughs> and then I wipe up my legs because I know the food it's is going to be double absorbed Your through my legs. <laughs> well, like, I know the food is going to be absorbed again through my skin, so why waste it? Like, it's just nutrients. I do like, the same. It's beautiful. Thanks, guys. <laughs> beautiful. And barbaric. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to anyone we offended. <laughs> you really are no, I probably mannered. wipe it on my G. Yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah,
1: my genes covered in grass stains and dirt stains,
0: yeah, yeah. soil. Yeah, yeah. And dirt so, on your so, pants. <laughs> so, so, so that's really interesting that like as part of the healing process, like because obviously your your background is in agriculture and ecology and that perfect, like as Agronomy. we call you a soilologist. Um, and, and, and it's interesting when you go help farmers regenerate their lands, it has to start with the individual and go, okay, well, you've True. been, you have X amount of ways of looking at how a farmer's work. You've got to, recalibrate their own beliefs and their how they own live as well. I'd imagine it's all linked, isn't yep.
1: it? I and it just it honestly blows my mind some it, it blows my mind all the time. But I I have an example that was just so fascinating. I met this cropping guy and he was saying every time I talked to him he'd get a headache. And I'm like oh, Thanks mate. It's so nice. And then he's like, look, I'm I'm just too old. I'm too old to learn anything new and I think like Dude, you're my age. And I think we were only like 40 at the time. Um, And he and I didn't really like push him on it. I'm just like, that's interesting. Why do you think that might be? Which is part of the coaching process is you don't give someone the answer in terms you just allow them to open up to their own answers. But he gets up the next morning and he says, I've realized what it is. I said, what? He said, "Um, I'm drinking and I'm drinking a lot. And he said, I say that my main commitment is my family, but yet when I get home, I actually go into the shed and I drink and I'm not with my family. Um, and he just had this whole moment where everything kind of opened up and he could see it clearly is the things that he thought he was committed to, which was regeneration of land and spending time with family. All of his actions were in the total opposite. And as far as I know, like that must be, yeah, I don't know, maybe seven years ago, he hasn't had a drink since. Uh, um. And that wasn't, oh, wow, I did this for somebody. It's how do we create a space where we actually take the time to reflect because we're all so busy and we're running faster and faster that we're not giving ourselves time to really, you know, what am I committed to? And where do my actions align with my commitment or not? Um, and to just take that moment, and so what's possible now for working with a with a with a cropping guy like that is he can now take different actions that were impossible before because he had a headache and he couldn't do it, and it was too hard, and he couldn't think. It, it's just amazing to me.
0: Wow, and like I've, I've heard you talk about, like say when we link good health and soil health, and we talk about that humans are mostly at a at a microorganism level where more bacteria fungi, archaea and yeast than we are actually human DNA and that how our microorganisms function massively dictates how we live, like massively mm-hmm. and our health in so many different ways and similarly with soil, yep. soil the more mm-hmm. diverse, the more rich in microorganisms, the more it, it, it's in balance and in health and I wonder if we could talk mm-hmm. about just the importance of micro, m- microorganisms in mm-hmm. soil and having this variety of them
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's why it's so important that we want our kids, as long as you know it's somewhere that's being managed regeneratively, to eat soil, to eat soil and repopulate ourselves with these microbes because we have totally crashed the biodiversity in our own gut and a big part of that are the organisms that are coming from soil. So you might have heard of the vaccine that they're developing for PTSD, the microbacterium. So it's a, it's a specific organism found in soil and they've discovered that um, the membrane on these particular organisms, if you concentrate it and you inject it in someone's body, they are more able to deal with stress. So they're looking at it as giving it to first responders and the military for people that are in those very stressful situations to mitigate PTSD potentially. Wow. Um, so you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And it's because we just don't have these organisms functioning like they used to in our body and we've disrupted them from, you know, antibiotics, not eating a diversity of plants, um, exposure to chemical, all of that has disrupted our gut microbiome. But also the plants that we're eating don't have it on them anymore or in them. So the endophytes, so the organisms that live inside plants are changing because of that chemical exposure. So... Thing, just like a human baby when it's born you know if it's born vaginally it's going to have a very different microbiome than a baby born through c-section well a seed that's grown in a plant that's in high chemical exposure that's all the nutrient loadings that their microbiome in that seed that then is carried on to where you plant that is totally different than a plant that's grown in a very regenerative biodiverse environment that they're, they're passing those microbes through that seed that then is also signaling to that plant that this is the type of environment that you might need to be exposed to. It might be hot, it might be cold, it might be dry, it might be wet, that we are setting plants up for success. But what we've been doing in the past is setting plants up for failure.
0: Well, so it's almost like that over the last 150 years since we've kind of adopted this, this system of chemical agriculture, As we've eroded our own, uh, the soils, our our microbiome has changed and our own capacity to deal with stress has changed as a result of this. And like when we're talking about bacteria, micro or organisms, anyone listening might go, what are you talking about organisms? Are these ghosts or are these like, what are they? It's it's (laughs) that we live in a bacterial planet that's so surrounded with microorganisms. They're everywhere. They're in our food, they're in our good. And the idea of living in a sterile environment or actually cleaning a table, sterile it, is only going to be completely temporary yeah. because there's, there's microorganisms. It, like, if you don't like bacteria, you're living on the wrong planet, as our gastroenterologist, Dr. Alan Desmond, always says. So, like, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's amazing. Oh, I like it's...
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think of the planet more as a fungal planet. Like, I feel sometimes that I'm being farmed by fungi. That fungi, because your microbes will change your behavior, they can change how you feel, which changes your thoughts, change your digestion. I mean, the whole thing is being run... By these invisible organisms that you can see if you have a microscope, but I feel like fungi really are dictating what I'm doing. So, you know, there's fungi. Fungi right are the here boss. The
0: fungi are the boss. There's,
1: there's fungi in there. What,
0: what are those fungi?
1: that What are those fungi grown behind man. you? That's a lion's mane. They oh, do like a good nice. line. Oh, I
0: love a good wow. line. Yeah. Oh, can, can we talk about how Goodbye plants there. communicate and the importance of mycelium yes. networks? Because many people, and it's only kind of, I, I'm learning more about that plants communicate via releasing chemicals, which awaken we're, certain little microbes and that they do we're, various we're, things and they communicate in an incredibly intricate language. And part of yeah. the communication um, network. network is mycelium, which is fungi. Yeah. And I wonder if, if, if we could talk about that because this is... Mind blowing for me and for many people listening. The fungi wide web.
1: Yeah, yeah, the fungi and the fungals, Um, I, it's so very interesting, and I think if we think about our own perception of the world, we really are deaf and blind and dumb to what's happening around us. And you think every single cell? Imagine every single cell has like a million receptors on the outside of it, waiting to receive some kind of signal or release some kind of signal so all of that microbiology in your gut or in the soil is waiting for signals and because they can't see right they don't have eyes they don't have legs they are waiting for a signal that says are you my friend are you my foe do you want to get it on (laughs) are you some food and they're waiting for these signals all the time so the more that we're learning about the plants is this incredible chatter that a plant has with that microbiome to say I'm under um, some kind of stress or there's an insect attacking me. They will signal to specific groups in the soil, those, those microbes will release these metabolites, these different types of chemicals to the plant. And then the plant's, um, what's well, called induced systemic response, but basically the plant's defense system switches on and it can't do it without this microbial partnership. And so you talked about the gut before, you know, that plant is outsourcing everything from its, hormonal system to its defense systems to its gut it all happens outside of its body and so these signaling metabolites are so important um and so subtle and and really because there's tens of thousands of these metabolites we very we know very very little about it and i think that's in part why we see the success that we do with really good high fungal vermicast so that's the worm castings you know from good quality composting is we're seeing phenomenal responses in terms of uh, seed germination from seeds that have been sitting in the soil for over sixty years of native plants is that we put a little bit of this extract, a little bit of these metabolites, and these soil systems come alive. It's just it seems like magic until you look into well, what's happening with all these communication pathways?
0: Yeah, I heard you talk about wow. a little a little um organism called the water bear or the moss all. Tardigrade, yeah. Uh, yeah, just so cool. So cool. I love
1: that Paul Stamets got it onto Star Trek. So, the Trekkies, you can watch the Tardigrade, huge, big Tardigrade on the mycelial network around the universe. It's the best Star Trek episode uh, from <laughs> four seasons ago. You should watch it, it's very cool. Um, but the tidygrad's fascinating in terms of when we think about where did these organisms come from, their genetic, their DNA is not similar. To I think maybe a couple of other organisms, but on the planet, it's perhaps come from outer space. It might be evidence of alien invasion onto the planet. Is the is the evidence of tardigrades? So they can survive like ten thousand times and it's the radiation.
0: It's, it's, that, it's a microorganism. We're not talking about a monkey now. We're talking about like something that we can't see, and it lives in the soil. We
1: can. You can. You can almost see it. So it's like, um, like. One uh, So like point 0.1 over a millimeter. Um, like, um, millimeter, we can see it, uh, just barely. And so they have eight legs. They're these fat, cute, until you zoom up close to their faces and then they're quite terrifying because <laughs> they have this big, round, claw-like mouth that they're, they're siphoning in um, bacteria and they feed on lichen, um, but they're adorable. Where do they and, live? And huh? Where do they live? Everywhere. Even in the ice sheet in Antarctica, the top of Mount Everest, the only places that we don't find them are in these highly chemical abused landscapes, which I think is very interesting. But in part, it's because they're feeding on algae. um, And you're not going to find a lot of algae necessarily. Well, you will find some algae. But you think herbicides are working on algae. I think that's an important point for people to consider is when we're applying herbicides, we really are taking out the plankton in the sea, the equivalent, right? We take out the, the foundation of our soil food pyramid. But these tardigrades, um, if you scrape off some lichen, even like in the city, go and find some lichen, scrape it off and put it underneath um, in a microscope, you, could, you potentially could see some. Wow.
0: And you were saying they can survive like 260 degrees below zero and above boiling yep. point above and in boiling- outer space.
1: And desiccate their bodies to 3% of their water so they can go into what they call a ton and they take that water out and they'll sit there and the longest they've recorded it is 120 years. They found some lichen from Scott base in Antarctica. They added water and these these moss piglets uh, sprung to lie. So they are the secret to cryogenesis. So there's a lot of interest in them in, in terms of that human side of things. But I think, for me, it's just the magic of these organisms and how little we know and understand. And what how do, we take them for do? granted.
0: What do they do? Do they do good stuff? Are they goodies or are they baddies?
1: Well, I don't believe in good and bad.
0: Oh, <laughs> sorry for being so binary. binary. But what, David, what do they do that we know of? Uh, <laughs> they fascinate are they, are they friends are they foes? Are they allies? Or, or are, are they... we getting it on with them? Are they uh, food you, are they no, friends for, are they
1: get on with them, you crush them. I think that might kill them. Um, it is, They're beneficial because they're part of the shredding community, so they're organisms that are going to take some material and then poop it out, and so we need, you know, like your pill beetles or slaters, I don't know what you call them in Ireland, the roly-poly ones. What do you call okay, them? Yeah,
0: yeah. Centipedes? Are those little, like...
1: No, when they roll up in Earth. a little ball, you find them eating, um, like, woody material.
0: Oh yeah, I know them, yeah, they're under ro- logs and stuff, yeah, yeah, yeah they're, that they're yeah. not that pretty. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Also important, and they're incredible accumulators of heavy metals. So they are really important that these little pill beetles, slaters, I don't know.
0: They call them pill bugs here.
1: Anyway, but it just highlights
0: even just one little microorganism of how important or how fascinating they are, and how we just. I'd love to. I'd love to link it all together now, and and regenerative farming seems to be the link across it all, and like that seems to be. Could you talk about regenerative farming? What does regenerative farming and how it links it, and how do we transition from where we're currently at, and why we have to, and all those big questions?
1: Yeah. Um. I hate labels and boxes. I think labels and boxes are what have got us into this mess. And I think it's a tendency of our Western minds to want to put things into a box. And I'm I'm almost moving away from using regenerative agriculture as a term because it's being greenwashed really fast. Um, And so for me, what I'm interested in, are what are the outcomes? What do you see... I actually I was working on a on a research project and I proposed that we actually measure the cortisol levels in farmers, so in their urine, to see how stressed they were, when we started, you know, on their transition to regenerative regenerating the landscape and then what their stress levels were at year five or six, because we hear that anecdotally, you know, your stress levels are gonna reduce. Um, they they didn't go for it though, the farmers didn't think that was a good idea. I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um but, like, I'm interested in the outcomes. Are you improving the quality of the water that comes off your property? Uh, is your soil starting to act like a sponge? Because what we see globally right now is flash floods, droughts. That is not because of climate change, people. That is a land management issue. So can we, can we, climate kind of change plays a part, all right? But. What is happening with land management? Um, are you slowing water down? Are you increasing the nutrient density of the food that you produce? And nutrient density itself right now isn't very well-defined either. Just want to throw that out there. Um, are we increasing the biodiversity? Do you have more birds and bees and butterflies and, and all of that on your property? And are you happier? You know? And are you, more, are you in a better, do you have financial freedom?
0: Like I think that's an important piece too. Do you have financial so freedom? I don't means, think I don't think many of yeah. us have financial freedom. That's that sounds like a myth really.
1: Oh no, it's not. No, it's not. And so that's part of what we do with some of our training is what is your what's the world that you have around finances and money? How does money show up for you? How does it occur? Because yeah, financial freedom is something that I went to work on maybe three years ago, because I never had money and I was always in debt. Um I was like, that's not regenerative. I'm really. I've got to look at what my stories were, and what was interesting is my stories all came from my Irish ancestry, which is that money is hard work, money is struggle, and you'll never have enough. I don't know if you guys can relate to that,
0: but absolutely. <laughs> I, was like, I think it's okay. baked into the into you know it, the deep, deep, it, deep. It's baked it into our microorganisms, unfortunately. <laughs> Likely.
1: <laughs> so by even just identifying that I had stories around money, my family has stories, my ancestors had stories around money, and it's not true, right, it's it's just, it's not true, it's just a story that our particular cultural vein um, pushed through the system, and so by starting to peel back my own stories about money, and I could see it through my actions, I could see it through the outcomes, you know, my bank balance, the debt, um, never feeling, like, feeling I was always just running on a treadmill, to going okay how do I transform that and it starts by this my internal thinking about money and, and I so got yeah I shifted that the so financial freedom is now a possibility it is now a reality for me
0: wow good, good job, job. That, that's the total epitome of um like how we live ourselves is how the world around us lives almost or, like or like could- as you said about regenerating like regenerating the land starts sort of regenerating the person. That it's like how we Yeah. Care. I've got I've got just an analogy for it. you know, that expression of um life doesn't happen to us. It doesn't happen for us, it happens from us. Like it Ooh. actually reflects, you know, how, how we are within ourselves and our own relationships, it's likely mirrored from life itself.
1: That's right. And for me there's no separation. And I know it's a I mean it's I don't know who said it, Socrates probably. There's there's no separation between that and an outer landscape. So mm. The more that I, I guess I can manage my internal landscape, and that's through food, that's through my thoughts, that's through my actions. And then how does that translate to working with people or working with landscapes? For me, there's no, there is no separation. Um, and so being able to read my own body, read landscapes, read other people, check my assumptions, because there's always assumptions working along the way. Um, then uh, for me, I feel like, gosh, if everyone, if we were all able to do this, how different would the world look? And I'm not saying I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, right? It's still, it's a journey and that regeneration is a journey. And I think that's where the challenge with defining something when you're on a journey, like where are you along that point and wherever you are is perfect instead of like, I'm not good enough, you know, I should be Joel Salatin, I should have the health of Zach Bush or look that good, you know, like like, Mm. stop comparing yourself to others and and, you know, just be really grounded in this present moment.
0: I really admire the whole holistic approach that you're taking, that it's not, you know, isolated as in the destination, it's the journey and it's starting with self.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think part of it for me more recently is feeling like I don't need to know it all as well. Like we have so much information being thrown at us and I like the geeking out and I like all the technical, but actually it's not important. It's the patterns, it's the connectedness, it's the diversity, that those kind of big themes are more important than I need to know what this organism's called and what the chemical signature of it is, which is fun. But I feel like there's this race to know more and know enough, and it's still the same pattern as the green cycle and the consumer cycle, except now we're consuming books and podcasts. Not that there's anything wrong with this amazing podcast, but just that digestion of excess And I've kind of, I've given myself some peace in that now, feeling like I don't have to know it all. It's okay.
0: It's almost like we have to, like, and this is my own idea. There's no one has to in any sense that uh, there's an aspect of how do we clear ourselves or clean ourselves of all the programming we've had and all the beliefs Uh and assumptions we have and Uh make ourselves more open and let life move through us a lot better. Maybe that's why the microorganisms and whatever ultimately kind of, moving us in a way that is more in harmony with life because the moment where we're just life is we're, we're being moved so fast and, and it's, it's very difficult to step off the treadmill or step off the the yeah I don't know the, the hamster wheel of life okay another question I really want to talk to you about can it, I c- ask just, uh, before we get into that can I ask with just a real simple one because this is one that uh, Lucy asked me we're to talking ask. to your mic oh sorry yeah five tips <laughs> to grow your own food or vegetables like just simple little Five, tips for anyone it. listening for any listener who goes okay this sounds amazing I am inspired I want to grow more food I want to get my hands in the soil I want to be able to okay. be part of regenerating my own system of food What are some mm-hmm. basic tips for people listening who kind of go how can I grow my own food Five tips to grow your own food
1: start, I think start with soil so not the hydroponic instant in your window kind of thing but Composed? actually
0: like is that just compost in the really supermarket really or
1: no Really good to find some really good quality compost ask them for biology tests like I I want to see a biology test from any compost provider so don't buy the stuff down at the garden center that's been made using municipal waste you want really good quality stuff so even vermicast like worm castings are going to be a lot better than most of your compost Um, I think sourcing seed from people that are doing this in a holistic regenerative organic matter in terms of you know having good quality seeds thinking about diversity you know and I think it's easy to get overwhelmed and you know you try and grow every single crop and it's it's a challenge to try and grow enough food but I think this is where collaboration comes from you know I used to work in community gardens and that sense of having other people motivate you too, you know and I think having an accountability person you know like someone that you're going to say okay every Monday I'll meet you down here and we're, we're going to we're going to produce some food and sharing that that labor, you know, I think there's so much now in our society that you got to do it yourself, you're not going to ask for help, we're all individual and separate instead of, okay, how do I collaborate? I'll, I'll grow the potatoes if you grow the squash, you know, and and being able to do that so that we can sustain ourselves because to try and do all of it all at once, it, you, you're just going to burn out.
0: That's a really interesting one, the last one about accountability or sharing the labor and collaborating.
1: That's really interesting because yeah.
0: it's not like, well, you need good sunlight and then you need to water it all the time. Like it's kind of thinking of the greater kind of interconnectedness. It's almost like, well, if you interconnect, maybe the bugs within you will interconnect. With and the and other just person another bugs. obvious one is it is an obvious one like not to till the soil, like as in start by planting in your compost as opposed to opening up the soil underneath.
1: Yeah. And, and you could grow really good quality produce just in pure vermicast. So not even needing to till because... Um and, and you think tillage really is the whole scale annihilation and destruction of microbiological communities. You know, you've taken someone that's living in New York and you've moved them to Ireland. When you come through with a cultivator, like it it's you're disrupting communities. So I'm not a big fan of, of cultivation and I understand when people do do it. And then we talk about so I, I try and avoid dogma. Because I think that's where we get in trouble. So saying don't cultivate ever um, is do your best. Maybe you want to. Okay, you're gonna do it. All right. So what can we do instead? So maybe we're gonna add some biochar or some humate to feed the fungi and reestablish those networks if you have cultivated. Now you said or that we're, we're gonna, gonna you, put you said
0: biochar and whole... some other word there that I had no idea what they were
1: about. Okay, so these are. Um, so humate is a soft brown coal. So it's a it's a waste product of coal seams. So lignite, leonardite. Um, it is concentrated, carbon, sixty-five million year old carbon. Um, and when we put that onto soil, the biology respond, the fungi respond. Um, it's just a delight, and it's an easy one to use. It's called in humates. Gardens. Was that what it's called? Humates. H-U-M-A-T-E. Humate. Mate. Oh, wow. All right, mate. All right, see so you use composted biochar. So biochar is made from sort of cool fires. Um, it is not charcoal. Um, so it's done in very low oxygen environments. And what it does is it makes a habitat for microbiology um, and again, concentrated carbon. So that's something that people could do if they were cultivating. Um, if you don't want to cultivate, that's where, yes, compost, mulch, just thinking how do I... Really cover soil um, and protect it, especially in a home garden. Um, and again, yeah, I think what did I say? Diversity, using compost, mulching the ground, working collaboratively. Yeah, and and water. Right, the quality of your water can be the number one thing that's uh, affecting people's ability to grow good food. They think they've got like a black thumb. I've met a lot of people that think this, and then you find well, your water is chlorinated, your water's really hard um, it's just this people's water is often the biggest problem so collecting rainwater or putting some really good filters in so that you're watering your garden with good
0: quality water could be a game changer. Wow, wow. you are a font of knowledge biochar oh, and humate it. they're cool you yeah, have never heard of them, they're class, they sound amazing. Well really you, I doing. think
1: if you talk to Zach Bush he talks yeah. about folic acid, so folic acid
0: and yeah, ion, yeah, or we'll is... repair. Oh,
1: that yes. So humic that that material is extracted from a humate.
0: Wow. One thing we spoke yeah. to with Zach, and Zach will hopefully be here next week, but he was talking about, right. and this is something that I wanted to ask you about was quorum sensing and quorum signaling. So what is that? Wh- what is this? Like it's it's something about where you <laughs> get all the microbes to work together on a single function. So yep. it's a bit like like humans, let's say we're microbes. Uh, we, get we get humans together to work on something together. Yeah. Yes. Is that it? Even just before, because this will lead into that, is that when you were talking there about the uh, the five tips for growing food, it seemed like we're yeah. almost creating the perfect atmosphere or the environment for microbes mm-hmm. just to to prosper and thrive. And it's almost yeah. like the way us humans we eat probiotics, we create perfect environments for food mm-hmm. to rot. And create loads of bacteria, and we eat, and it makes our guts good. And it's the same like for the soil and for growing food. We need to make it the perfect environment for bacteria to thrive, and therefore the food Mm -hmm. is good. And what's quorum sensing? Sorry, that was my. (laughs) (laughs) Quorum (laughs) sensing has something (laughs) to do with it. Quorum sensing has something to do with this, like universal intelligence. uh,
1: Yes. and so quorum sensing's been known since around the 1960s when they were looking at what causes. Have you ever been to the ocean and there's bioluminescence at yeah, night? Yeah,
0: saw it yeah. once. It was amazing.
1: i bet you be ran around naked when it was happening too. Yeah, we all went skinny dipping. Yeah, it was great. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. It's just, it's honestly magic. But it, they were. And how is it that those are organisms, right? That are luminescing and they all illuminate together and it's actually a chemical signal that they're sending to each other that says turn on right so we can see bioluminescence flare up because they are receiving a signal from a chemical that says switch on in this case the ability to illuminate now in your own bodies think you might have strep organisms in your body but you don't have a sore throat and then at some point it goes virulent and the sore throat develops that was a quorum signal. So it's a chemical that microbes release when that population reaches a certain threshold, they switch on, they gene express for virulence, right? Now you're sick. It might be for biofilms. So some some organisms use this. Plants will actually release these quorum signals um, to switch biology on or switch them off. So you think of all that huge biodiversity, the amount of microbiology that might just be at a teaspoon of soil, you know, Oh, sorry about the dog. Um, Millions of organisms in a teaspoon. A lot of them are dormant, right? And they're waiting for a signal to switch on, to start reproducing and and populating. So quorum sensing is just one of the aspects of signaling that happens in soil. Um, And what's interesting is they're developing chemical signals to turn microbes off, which is quorum quenching. So they've developed one of these signals to turn off cholera. Why it's not released publicly and across the world, I don't know. But what's interesting is that that signal to turn cholera off in the body is the same signal to turn botrytis off in a plant. So there's this connection from plants to humans in terms of these chemical signals that's the same that just I just
0: think is astounding. It's almost the same way that they look at the longest living people or, you know, we talked to who was it? We talked to someone recently and he was saying that the, the most, the strongest, there was this idea of Darwin's idea that the survival of the, fur, the fittest and people had the idea that no, they we're shooting. Individualism. That's, individualism shooting. that's capitalism. That's yeah. individualism. Whereas if you look back to the books, it talked about the the the, the actual, the most, the the strongest and healthiest plant was the one that was the most connected. And if you look, the longest living humans, you know, they took, there was a TV show here in Ireland recently where it showed like lots of long living humans. And I talked about, it was all about interconnectivity, like the most connected people were the ones that typically live the longest. And I'm looking at this and kind of going quorum sensing. It's the idea about connection. It's like, you know, it's ultimately being able to almost be like a snake charm or something that can play this magical tune and make these things wake up and suddenly... Life prospers and thrives in a very different way. Like, yeah, that's in a crazy. Yeah, and what
1: we're realizing is the more subtle that we are, the more effective that we can be. And this subtleness can be in the chemistry of your blood. It can, and how we affect it with our thoughts. It could be the intent that you have when you're out in when you're out producing food. Like I always sing to my plants, they love it. um, Of just that nature and the ecosystems and the biology and these chemical signals are so subtle and we feel like we have to come in with a hammer and we have to make it this way and we have to put this nutrient on and we have to force the system when really most of the time we just need to get out of the way and we need to be really looking at yeah like how subtle can I be and if I'm out there being all grumpy and yelling at the neighbors and, and all of this piece how is that affecting the outcomes and the research is starting to come through to say that that is actually true that we are emanating these these signals all the time and we're affecting each other and we're affecting our landscapes or affecting our microbiome
0: It's probably the way that we've kind of collectively created the environment that we currently live in. You know, it's that we, and as I mentioned earlier, it's so difficult to jump off the machine that we're existing on because we're so interconnected. And it's not until we can individually and collectively slow down that then, and maybe it's this this idea at the mass tipping point that when 10% of a population kind of change their perspective, that is the, almost the point at which, when more than 10%, that's the point when, you know, Little. systemic change tends to happen. So, yeah. Nicole, yeah. you're amazing. You, you really, really are. are. You're, you're, you're I so heard smart. you're over in England twice this year, and I wonder, would you no. come to Ireland? I would. I want to yeah. come and see you. That would was- great. Can we come hang out? Yeah, we we can put you up yeah. and feed you, and we can talk all things vegetables because you're amazing. Oh.
1: I'm coming. I'm doing it. Yeah, I want, I'd like to come to Ireland, and that was the plan. I just hadn't made any plans. Cool. When you, when, when
0: you be here? Is it, I, I think it's a summer. friend, Abby Rose, uh, said that you were coming in June to England and um, I think in and, August or September. I was chatting to her yesterday.
1: Yeah, you know, I'll be there in June at Groundswell, and we're also doing an intensive um, two-day event at Althorpe, um, which has just been an incredible joy and gift to work with the Orthorpe estate I must say I have to pinch myself regularly uh, and then at Groundswell that last week of June and then coming to Ireland in first week of July
0: Brilliant First it's week it's of July decided Can't wait I put it in my diary a spare room I put it in my diary Yeah I got a spare room I'll just yeah. check my wife but yeah I'm coming Yep spare room <laughs> First week of July Yep put it in the diary Brilliant. Fantastic. We can talk
1: all things. Now. And Brilliant. Is there anything you
0: want to plug in terms of your, your coaching or anything? Is there anything you want to mention because you're amazing and we love uh, you dearly. Well,
1: I have a bunch of online courses um, and so if people are interested in the courses and also my book is on an Audible and I really encourage, I know people are busy, I don't have time for reading, so actually having Audible books I think is helpful. Um, and it would be great to see people at Groundswell and um, just, yeah, connect with people. And, the,
0: and your book is called For the Love of Soils. Soil. The
1: Love of Soil. But as you can tell, it's not just about soil. No,
0: <laughs> you're linking so many things together, like you're a proper connector. Right.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a challenge in here sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so.
0: There's so many aspects yeah. which you can touch on and you're yeah. you're like very learned in many areas, like you really are. Oh, oh, and I just had a box of baby chicks arrive,
1: and I could hear them, she'd be nuts.
0: <laughs> we can wow. hear them, I think I can hear them too. That's amazing.
1: Uh, well, this is the first place I've lived in for eight years. I've been living on the road, living in a trailer and to be grounded in my own piece of land. And so these chicks are the first thing that's part of...
0: I can hear them. Yeah, yeah, I can. That's in Montana, isn't it? You're based in Montana.
1: Yeah, in the Paradise Valley. So, we're looking at building an education center here. So, if anyone is interested in learning about that or supporting it, that would be amazing.
0: Brilliant. Wow. Okay. Amazing. Well, okay. Well, we can't wait to hang out with you in the first week of July. We really oh can. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah.
1: I, I'm coming. I'm yeah. coming. So, let's, let's, I'll, I'll send out. an
0: email just with more details to you. So, that specifically, so yeah. that we can, so down you down. can concrete it down, yeah. we can land it.
1: Yeah, I want to sit in one of those chairs and look as comfortable as you do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Deadly, look. You're wonderful. Enjoy your chicks, Nicole. Thanks a million. Thanks so much. All right. Wonderful. Mind yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. 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 Cheers. Bye.